Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Season 3 of Stages Podcast, where we continue to bring creation and connection to center stage. Hi, listeners. I just wanted to pop on and wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. It's coming up next week. That was quick. I don't know if it's something that you celebrate, but if it is, I hope you spend the day with people that you care about and that bring you a lot of joy and make you feel grateful. I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite poems by Rumi. It's called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness that comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furnishings, still treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight, a dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent to you as a guide from beyond. When in the presence of today's guest, one has a tendency to stare. I'm not one to objectify anybody, but there are some humans that are so beautifully created, it's hard not to wonder how all of their features aligned so perfectly. And then he speaks. His voice is soothing and assured and truthful. And then he sings. And his Hmm. range and his tone and his joy is thrilling. And then he smiles. Forget about it. Then he's with his family, his husband and his children surround him, and they all seem to carry an inner light. And that is what makes Cheyenne Jackson one of the most stunning people you will ever meet. His Broadway credits are many and include two decades of consistent and varied work, making him a favorite of casting agents and ticket payers alike. And he's found great success in both TV and film. I was lucky enough this summer to spend a little time with him and his troupe. And Sebastian and I left that afternoon with the frame. I just love spending time with them. God, I hope we can do that again soon. I know Broadway feels the same way. And I am certain after spending this next hour with him, you too will feel the same way. Please welcome Cheyenne Jackson. Cheyenne Jackson, can we have you to stage, please? Cheyenne, welcome to the stage. Welcome. Hello. That intro. That was beautiful. Wow. Such a special human. And I've I've known you, and I say this lovingly, peripherally for a long time, like two Mm -hmm. decades. And there's always been a light. And you and I have actually uh, joked about, are you really this nice? No. Are you really this nice? (laughs) Always kind of expecting that other shoe to drop. And it just never, never has. And then I read up on you and I come to find out that the small town you come from is less than 900 people and there's no running water and there's an outhouse for y'all. And I, my jaw drops and I think, how did this individual, or maybe because this individual came from that beginning, that's why he is who he is. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. I grew up right in between the two states of Washington and Idaho. The Ponderé River goes between the states. So I was born in Washington, Spokane, Washington, to be exact. But we, I grew up about 45 miles away from there in a little town called Old Town, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think at last count, it's like 600 people, 700 people or something. Is there really still no running water there? Oh, people have plumbing now. now oh, okay. I, and, and people had plumbing then. We just didn't. We okay. were very, very poor. My parents came from Southern California. That's where they met. And they were together since my mom was 18, I think, 17 wow. or 18. And then I think the story goes, they they fell in love and they they didn't want their children to grow up thinking the sky was supposed to be that color, meaning the smog in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Yeah. And, and back were- in the day, it was, yeah, it was That's just right. like a big halo of gray. That's right. They wanted nature. They wanted just to live off the land to just this bucolic, beautiful existence. And so 
around that same time, they also became born again Christians. So it was this interesting little enclave of like new families, new Christians, and also hippies. So it was like this little kind of commune area neighborhood really in out in this beautiful place to grow up right by right by the mountains and you know rivers and it was it's just it's still untouched i just recently went back for my 30th high school reunion we can talk about that later if you want <laughs> i do uh, want i do want <laughs> there must but, just be posters of you all over the town <laughs> it's pretty um it's it's wild it's wild but yeah so growing up uh, I, my dad, we lived in the woods. We lived on uh, 20 acres in the woods. My dad built our home. We were on like cinder blocks and yeah, for a time we didn't have running water an outhouse, all of that. And, you know, but as a kid, as long as you're loved and you're, you're cared for, I didn't realize how poor we were until I got a little older and saw the people down the street and saw them. And so it started to compare, but, um, yeah, that was really much, that was my, our little existence, the little five of us, um, the Jackson five. And it sounds like you're oh. so, so grateful for that upbringing though. For sure. I, I, I believe that it really has given me a life of uh, appreciation for things, for comforts. Mm -hmm. I, I know what it's like to not have anything. I know what it's like to have, to wear hand-me-down clothes and to not have the newest thing. And so now I live now that I live in Los Angeles and I have kids that go to a, a private school. I just mm -hmm. want to make sure that they understand it's not always like that. And I want right. them to know where I came from and just, just to be, I'm trying to raise two little good humans, you know? So yeah. it's even harder now because there's, they have so many things to compare their lives to because of the internet, which didn't exist when you were growing up. And so they can't help but live in comparison, especially mm -hmm. in a place like LA too, I would assume, right? It's even worse than anywhere else. Oh, 100%. And, you know, the school we go to, I think any, any private school you go to or really any school in LA, you're going to have a wide range of people with different mm -hmm. socioeconomic backgrounds. And so some of their friends are some of the wealthiest kids mm -hmm. <laughs> out there. Their families are like billionaires with a B. That is just money that you, it's hard to even wrap your head around. So mm -hmm. even my own kids who are so fortunate find themselves comparing themselves to, right. why don't we have a plane? Why can't we go to, <laughs> why can't exactly. we go to St. Bart's? I'm I like, think, I think we turn the water off in the house for a week and put them outside in a little outhouse. Let's yes. talk about that kids. Everybody look up to the big dipper. Don't, not the plane, <laughs> right. the big dipper. And you know, what's funny. Every time the, the the power goes out, because I live in the Hollywood Hills, as Stephanie said, and, and it's a cute little house on a great, we have this great property, but uh, anytime there's a, there's a storm, um, the, the power goes out because the, so it's very wooded and, but my kids love it. Yeah. They love that the power goes out because I light all the candles. We all get in the bed and it's yeah. just so funny. Like they just want the basics. They just want to be with their dads or be yeah. with their parents. Love. And tell stories and it's so it's yeah I, i'm really trying to 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 create a wholesome very non-screen environment for them mm. and like i just started watching um the little house on the prairie series with them oh, oh you're God. talking my language oh, I really? am now, i'm now well first of all it's my favorite show of all time i well, i'm now oh, introducing bb we're on season six oh. no spoilers i can't even tell you i i'm i was so tired before this interview started you said little house i've been infused with michael landon and now i'm ready to take on the week definitely i we are simpatico here are, so it was my favorite show I've, I've, I have the series of books. I've read the books as well. Yes. I had the lunchbox. Oh, come oh, on. And then, oh. so I started, I started watching it with the kids and I really wanted them to really get on board right away. So we, 
But some of those are rough episodes. It's so interesting because if it says seven plus, you're like, oh, this should be benign. It should be fine. Plague hits everybody and everybody <laughs> dies. If right. it's 13 plus, they're like foul language, some <laughs> sexual content. And all they're doing is saying, damn. And then uh -huh. maybe there's somebody who works in the brothel that's wearing feathers. But you're like, uh -huh. you've got this totally backward. People. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> and there's some, there's some <laughs> It, it, through this, I, I was watching, we were watching uh, it a couple of weeks ago and um, I can't remember what, oh, they were, the kids were, the kids at, in Walnut Grove were putting on the production of Little Women. Yes, okay. of course. Her, and the, and the girl, girl cuts her hair with that terrible <laughs> blonde wig. Terrible blonde wig. Ethan's like, that's a wig, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah. She did um, it for her mama. She did it for uh, her mama, Cheyenne. But during, while I was watching, um, I've kind of become like Instagram friends with Melissa Gilbert. Oh and my gosh. So I was like this kind of texting her back and forth and things. And then um Jace, I mentioned to my kids, I'm like, you know, I, I kind of know her who plays Laura. And of course, my kids are like, what? So then now as I'm watching it, I send her little videos of you know this, and and then Melissa gives me like behind the scenes stuff. And I'm like, you guys don't realize that Laura Ingalls is giving you play by play of Do you, yeah, oh my gosh, do you know Pamela Bob? No. Okay. Pamela Bob is an actress in New York. We've um, interviewed here, here on the show. Okay. She did a series, a YouTube series called Living on a Prairie because she was so obsessed. She's obsessed. Little House. And it colored her whole life, like her dating life. She, yeah. I mean, and the, the series is like, it's laugh out loud funny about how if you know Little House, Little House it's laugh out loud. Has yeah. ruined her life because yeah. she compares everything in the world to Little House. You will love that series. And I'm raising Vivi's like that. I'll be like, oh, what's Melissa doing? She's like, Melissa Gilbert or Melissa Sue Anderson? I was like, <laughs> Mary. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing it right. I feel like no. we are doing it no. right. My kids yeah. couldn't believe that two actresses played Carrie. They're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, Sydney, yeah, Lindsay and Sydney. Greenfoot. Okay, let's go okay. back let's to um, what literally was the impetus, or what inspired you to go back to your high school reunion? Okay, so I have I had a best friend in eighth grade. I, I I went to a private Christian school called House of the Lord Christian Academy, and it sounds fancier than it was. There were like three people in my grade, and it was a, not dissimilar to Little House in the Prairie in that it was like kindergarten to twelfth grade all in one little schoolhouse. Yeah. And my brother was three years older than me, Chris, and he was a great athlete. And there was no opportunity in our little school for him to explore that. So his sophomore year, he got to go to Newport High School, which was the regular public high school with like 75 kids in your class. Wow. And he thrived and he was popular and he was had, you know, was like running on the track team and he just exploded in confidence and all this. And so I begged my parents when I was in eighth grade, I'm like, please, because there was only one person in my, in my whole class. Oh my gosh. Kid that I've been friends with since, you know, we were five. I said, please, can I go to public school? And they let me go. And it was such a culture shock because I was the same size I am now, almost six, three, and I was 13 and wow. I was so innocent. I didn't know, I didn't know the F word. I didn't, I was like, but imagine a kid that's this tall who, who I was just so innocent. Anyway, I say all that because my first week of school, I already felt like an outsider because I didn't know anybody. And I, I would, when I, I think I was in like a English class or something, I went and talked to the teacher when I came back to my desk. Do you remember, I don't know if they make them anymore, but like, milk cartons that homogenized milk and on the top it just said h-o-m-o -O for homogenized but mm. also be homo mm -hmm. i came back to my desk and there was a little milk cap on my desk that said homo and i'd only been in the school for about a week i barely even knew what that was i certainly didn't know if i was that but i looked over and there were all these boys uh kind of snickering and laughing and i was so sad and disheartened and confused and I looked over to my left and there was this adorable little blonde kid with curly hair who just mouthed and he became my best friend and confidant and 
friend forever. And we were in all the plays together. I was a bass, he was a tenor, and we had we sang harmony, and it was great. Anyway, flash forward, um, over the years, we've kept in contact, and his son is a giant YouTube star. Ah. <laughs> Crazy thing. But um, I did his son's uh, music video, and so we really reconnected. And Chuck, his name is Chuck Green, he said, I'm going back to our high school reunion. You should go. And I was like, I'm not going to go to that. I didn't have a good time in high school like you did. You know, I people wrote fag on my locker. And, you know, even though I did have triumphs in high school and I did learn that I'm an artist and I had a I had a mentor that fostered that and I found out that I was an athlete, there were wonderful things. I didn't have an overall good experience in high school, so I didn't want to revisit that. But he kept at me and he kept at me. He's like, just do it. You just never know. And people are so proud of you in our little town and just come back. And something inside me said, just do it. Also, my dad passed five years ago and I hadn't really done like a pilgrimage to where I, you know, used to live. And so I thought I'm going to kind of kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to go back to all of my old haunts and my find, for, find little bro. parts of yourself again. Yes, and relive yeah. that and heal things. And yeah. then also go and see these people that I went to high school with. And when I tell you, it was so powerful seeing these people. One of my high school bullies is now the principal of the school. Which, oh my gosh. Which tracks, it's it's fine, I get it. And, and he wasn't, he wasn't a, a terrible bully, but it was just like, he, you know, it was one of those things. But now he's a, in power. Now he's in power. Um, but the, but the other guy that, that put the milk carton, the milk, milk cap on my thing, um, apologized to me. No kidding. He remembered and we talked about it and, uh, it was just a, it's, it was just, it was a healing situation. I didn't even realize that I needed to be healed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, if anybody out there is, is listening and thinking, and they're on the fence, whether they should go to their high school reunion, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I don't know. I, I think nothing bad can happen from it. You may, it may surprise you. A story that something that you've said to somebody in high school uh, that they've been carrying with them. I, uh, I don't know. People told me all this stuff that I used to say and how I used to make them feel in a good way. And I'm like, really? That's, you just don't know. So anyway. That's so interesting because I've never been to a high school reunion because I didn't get picked on. I didn't get, um, I don't think I was, you know, bullied, but I, high school for me was so difficult just because of the space that I was in, in my life, it was a very painful time for me for other mm. reasons. Right. And the world felt unsafe and, uh, and it felt, uh, uh, untrustworthy and I've never been back. And every now and then I'll bump into, I only have one friend really. Well, I have one, like my best friend, we still talk all the time. And then there's two other women that I chat with on occasion, but no one else really do I keep in touch with. And I'm afraid to go back. I'm afraid to go back because I think I, I wasn't a very nice version of myself back then because I was in so much pain. Mm. So I'm afraid to hear that I wasn't nice to someone or that I was unkind or, you know, mm. yeah. I have only honest. been back. I've only been back to, I think it was my 10 year. And I must admit, I did, I did need it. I was luckily earning a living in the industry that I, you know, was so serious about in high school, everything. I was serious about everything in high school, right? The matching. Oh, you were that girl. I was that girl because I too went to an all Catholic grade school and all girls Catholic high school. And then when I found out there was an opportunity to go to a public school that had an arts program that my parents, I had to do like this whole PowerPoint presentation to get them to say yes, but they said yes. And free dress was super important. I mean, coming from <laughs> uniforms oh, to yeah. express yourself in that way. So yeah, y'all, I wore the blazers with the brooch and the belt that matched the the suede heels with the earrings and the thing. And I looked like a pitiful teacher coming in. <laughs> um, but because of that, because I didn't just slide into this laid back, cool 
beach vibe where I went to school, you know, there were no dates for me for homecoming Mm -hmm. and I didn't go to prom and my mother, you know, would throw me a Valentine's day dinner because there just was that aspect of socializing in high school did not exist for me. Mm -hmm. Part of, because I was self-sabotaging, I guess, with how I presented myself in those last (laughs) two years. But the blazer, the blazer blocked you, baby. The blazer, look, Mm. the brooch didn't help either. (laughs) But to go back kind of as a more secure human in my own skin Mm. and come face to face with these people. And this is going to sound so ridiculous, but to have that little insecure 16 year old heart here from now, these grown men, you know, I really had a, I had a liking for you. And I was like, are you kidding me? When I'm home with my mother for Valentine's Day, where she made me like a flan and gave me a little (laughs) ring with a heart on it, those sort of outpourings of, I see you now, I saw you then, I just couldn't respond. It really did heal something so, I don't know, superficial that we shouldn't probably care about, but Mm. that I was still desperately holding on to as that 16-year-old who looked in the mirror and went, you're never going to have a boyfriend. You're yeah, never I never I never had boyfriends in high school either, but it was just because they were all terrified of my hockey playing brothers. No one would ask. Me oh, that. yeah. They would no kill one. those. They would kill no those guys. I, so I always just thought, oh, what's wrong with me? Nobody will ask me out. It was mm. so hard to be in high school. <laughs> uh, it is. Go back to your mom and dad real quick, because everything sure. I've read, it sounds like you have a great respect and affinity for them. And your mm. middle name is your father's name. And I I did. I, I was trying to send you love and prayer. Well, whole community was trying to lift you up and send you prayers because you were vo- very open and expressed your pain on social media about the loss of your father. Describe your dad a little bit for us. My dad was stoic and beautiful and he was a vietnam vet and he was like an amateur bodybuilder so he looked like a statue he was just stunning but he had a lot of childhood pain his mother died really young and and i think obviously going to vietnam i think it just it it turned him into somebody he i think he naturally was very introspective but he became just, he barely said anything. To us, he, he chatted our ears off, but in public, he was known, he, he was, you know, David didn't say much. And when he did, everyone turned and listened because it was profound. And he was, I thought of him as the strongest man in the world. And I think, you know, oftentimes you, you have these ideas of your parents' images and we all think of our parents, you know, uh, or our dad's probably as strong. But I remember, I think my dad, because we were so outdoorsy and he was so into, you know, the woods and nature and signs and listening and also lifting weights. I remember we would go down to the river and I have this image of him walking behind him on the path and he's holding our canoe over his head by himself. Wow. And I just remember thinking like, he's the strongest man in the world. And I tell this, I tell us a version of this story in my, in my show, but I think it'll kind of give you an example of who my dad is and was to me. So I grew seven inches in one summer, the summer before my eighth grade year. And yeah, I had growing pains. It was, it was crazy. I come back, you know, and um, this is also, uh, you know, I, I'm joining a new school and the, and the football coach is like, oh my God, look at you. You're huge. You should play, <laughs> should be, you know, a linebacker here. And I'm like, no, it's, that's not, that's not who I am. And my dad was a cop. He was, a, a, he was known in the community, you know? So he was like, well, you should bring your dad. You should bring your dad and you guys can just come watch a practice. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to commit to anything. And so I remember telling my dad and he was like, well, maybe you should go. You could meet some friends. And so I remember just sitting on this bluff overlooking the, the boys playing football and I'm sitting side by side with my dad and we're just looking out and my heart is racing because I'm thinking like, you know, these guys are crashing into each other and it's so violent. It's so not me. I'm like, I collect Billy Holiday, Lena Horne, Sarah Bond, <laughs> and I want to be Wonder Woman for Halloween. I just, I'm, I, but I don't know how to tell him. And I don't even know what that means yet. Hmm. And I'm just grappling in my, I just remember the feeling of like, what am I going to say? How am I going to, we, cause we'd never talked about anything like that. 
And he just, without even looking at me, he put his hand on my knee and he said, shiny, because my dad called me shiny. He said, shiny, you don't have to play. Oh. And that was it. And I just knew that no matter where I went or what I did, he would have my back. And even though he was masculine and, you know, all of these things like from the outside, when I came out at 19, my dad took it the easiest, you know, it was my mom that had the hardest time. And, you know, it was a rough time for our family. And um, my mom and I are great now, actually better than ever. But um, Did yeah, it so conflict when- with her religious beliefs, is that was that the big part of the problem? I think that was definitely part of it. I think a bigger part is that she just, there was so much about that that she didn't understand or know. And I think, I think she just didn't want me to live a life of pain Mm -hmm. or being on the outside. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all I ever wanted to do was to be a dad. And I think maybe she thought, now you're not going to be a dad. Mm -hmm. I was the only boy babysitter around. I adore kids and I always wanted to be a dad. And So I think it was probably, you know, a combination of all of those things. And she had to really, somebody gave me some advice early on when you come out, um, you have to let your parents mourn Mm -hmm. their idea of what they thought your life was going to be. And it's great advice. Yeah. And I really did. I let them have space. I let them have time. But I do think, Mary you're about religion. Yes, for sure. Because we were a very Christian family. My brother is a pastor. Mm-hmm. He was at, he was in Bible college then, and I went on three mission trips to Mexico. And it was, you know, Jesus and the Lord and church twice a week was it's what you did. So I think uh, I think that was probably the biggest the biggest. Are you still a Christian? Do you practice? No, I'm not. I I am definitely more connected and more spiritual and more um, in touch with higher power than I've ever been in my life. But no, I don't believe in Jesus. Like I, like I was taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can you but still feel a- your dad's hand on your leg every now and then saying no shiny or go oh, ahead shiny. Oh yeah. Even just actually this last week in New York, uh, I was doing my first like solo show at 54 below and I wrote a, a new piece for it. And it's very dad heavy. I didn't realize how much stuff I was still working out, but it's very dad heavy. And one night I got, I got really nervous because one of my friends slash idols was in the audience, Sandra Bernhard. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. And I love Sandra and we've been friends for a long time, but she's arguably one of the pioneers of, you know, cabaret and monologues and weaving it together in a, like a long form narrative. And she'd never seen me do my thing. And I really went out on a limb in this piece in particular, emotionally. And unfortunately, she was sitting in a place where I could see her really clearly. And I was just trying to like, it's just fine. You're fine. But you know, the beginning of a long chunk of time when you're on the stage and you know you can't leave. Mm -hmm. And if you get in your head for a second, like, oh shit, like either I have to pee or like, I'm really nervous or my Mm -hmm. is and you're not fully in your body. You have a moment. And we've talked about that of like you going up into the white space for like the white room. The white, yeah. the white room. So I remember it was probably like five seconds of like, oh shit, I am, I got to do this for 75 minutes. And it just started. <laughs> and I remember thinking about, I often think about my dad because he's like in, if I'm on a plane and there's turbulence, I imagine him outside, like going, it's, it's cool. We got it. It's like, you know, so yeah, definitely. He's. Yeah. How did he pass? He, he. I mean, it was a combination of of many things, but he had super high blood pressure and mm. he, you know, heart stuff. And yeah, there was the, the actual one thing. I It wasn't one thing. He just, my dad was an old fashioned guy that just loved his steak and his, you know. And, mm. Yeah, yeah. And he That's smoked good. for years. He smoked a pipe. He yeah. is Charles Ingalls. <laughs> <laughs> Did he play a fiddle? Did he play a fiddle? <laughs> Weirdly, my dad had the most beautiful whistle, like auto, and he could, he could, he could, but he, his voice was so bad. (laughs) Sometimes ask him to sing um, from Mary Poppins, just a spoonful of sugar, just because it was so atrocious. 
so were it the were those albums that you collected was that kind of what sparked your love of music yeah so my love of music really came from both of my parents but my love of singing and a wide range of stuff came from my mom my mom loved Joni Mitchell Judy Collins Joan Baez that's what was in the house Roy Orbison Linda Ronstadt storytellers all oh, such great storytellers all of them and I remember her albums I remember the smell of them I remember the tapestry I you know it's very very emblazoned on my brain so music early on became my escape and then I think around like seven or so it became apparent that I was a good singer and my mom taught me to sing harmony and I would sing in church and I was really shy I've always been a, an introvert who just happens to perform, you know, it's just not my favorite thing to be at a party. Like, Hey, everybody, you know, I'm not, I don't like it, but you know, get me on the stage and you can't get me off. But yeah, my mom taught me to sing. And then in church and then in school, when I found plays, we did bye bye birdie, like every play, like every high school. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they wanted me to play the Elvis part, the like Conrad birdie part, because of what I looked like. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to play. The Dick Van Dyke part. I want to you play want to be Albert, mm. the funny guy, and he—that's the part. And I remember, you know, it's a very common story. I remember saying my first line, getting a laugh, feeling how that felt. Yeah, I thought maybe this is my thing. And I had a mentor, Mark Caldwell, and he really honed in on that and said, "You have something very, very special." And he taught me. He taught me to. He taught me specific things. He taught me to work on my passaggio. He taught me to to work on that mix in between my chest and my head voice. And I believe early on in my career in Broadway, that was one of the things that kind of set me apart is that you couldn't tell what kind of voice I had. Was I a tenor? Was I a bass? And it's because I had one person that really, really, truly believed in me and fostered that. So did you see that now at the reunion? No, we have kept in contact over the years. Yeah. And then I got to hear Ethan and Willow sing. And now you have two little voices. Uh, I mean, you're harmonizing with them now or singing in the round with them now. It's so, it's so fun. That was a great moment when all, when our daughters all sang together. That was wild and beautiful and something I didn't even know I needed until it happened. And then I have this image and it's just... um not just friendships that continue on, but to see their own little personalities that has a sliver of light that reflects us as well. It huh? really was something that we processed for a long time. And they were singing Poor Unfortunate Souls. Mm -hmm. And it was Megan Hilty's daughter, Viola, singing, Ursula? who's the, yes, Ursula. Ursula. Mm -hmm. And then Willow and Bibi were in the back, <laughs> just giving all sorts of movement and life on their own and then would come in every now and then. And they had disappeared for what, a half hour to work, quote unquote, rehearse this. Oh my and God. then they performed it. And it's, it's not like we're stage parents. These kids uh, came forward with their own unique shimmer, their own unique shiny. I'm going to steal your word. There was a shininess to them that was so fresh and so uniquely theirs. It was uh, very special. Because I also noticed that the three of us were the opposite of stage parents. We were kind of leaning back and right. sitting like, I remember Megan was like, but you don't have to, if you want to, you know, it was, she right. wasn't like, come on, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Dance for grandma. Dance for grandma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Audra, Audra McDonald reached out. She's like, oh, I wanted to be there. And then <laughs> Allie could have been there. It could have been a quartet. So I know we got to. Oh, that sweet second generation. I need to be invited to the next pool party. I'm sorry. I do not have a little girl who come and sing, but you know. <laughs> you can bring you can bring the dogs. Train them I'll to howl the on pitch. I'll and bring, bring the dogs. dogs. Yeah, set. Perfect. I loved learning that you had done tons of regional theater before hitting New York. That was my path too. And I, fe I felt a real deep kinship with you because I just kept scrolling going, oh my gosh, all of these regional credits. I had no idea. Are you glad that that happened that way? Oh yeah. You know, my whole life, I had a chip on my shoulder about not going to college, not being professionally trained, not have any formal dancing or singing, you know, training. But I realized, and often people would say to me when I was 21 or 22, you got to go to New York. You got to go to New York. 
you have something special, you got to go. And I had this pull to do it, but I knew I wasn't ready. And I felt like I needed to, because I didn't go to school, I needed to learn. And I've always been somebody who learns by watching, by mimicking, like even just by listening to Ella Fitzgerald and mimicking her phrasing and, or Harry Connick Jr. or George Michael or anybody by mimicking, taking bits, trying it on, seeing what works. And by doing show after show after show in, in summer stock, we would do four productions, you know, and play all the different roles. And I learned so much to this day. I have little tricks and, and things that I remember stealing from Bobby Catula, this great actress in, in um, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, or Julie Powell or Darcy Wright. I just remember, oh, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that. And so, yeah, starting off in, in Spokane at the Spokane Civic Theater, Troy Nickerson, he was the um, artistic director and gave me my little shot. And then in Spokane, I got my equity card in Issaquah, Washington at the Village Theater. And I did Babes in Arms. And then I played Tony in West Side Story. And then we did Hair at the Fifth Avenue Theater, which was like the big time. I played Burger and I was wild. I was mm -hmm. like, this is... And then people started coming touring through, through Seattle. The big like national tours would tour through Seattle and they would see our productions. And I, re I remember after enough people from New York took a gander at me and would say like, what are you doing here? You got to go to New York. I thought, okay. I feel like I can do Fine. this now. And it is, I mean, it's because of regional theater, because I, I remember auditioning for Sound of Music when I was 16 and they thought I was there for the captain because I've always looked older. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm here for Rolf. <laughs> and it just all happened like you're supposed to, you know? My first audition in New York was for Thoroughly Modern Millie and they needed somebody who could, who looked kind of young to cover Gavin Creel and who looked kind of older to cover Mark Kudish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was you. Always been able to, how old is he? Is he yeah. a tenor? You know, so it's, I feel like you just, it's, it's the right time. So I'm so glad I moved to New York at 27, even though at the time I felt old. Now I know it was just, just the perfect time. Do you miss the stage? Oh yeah. Yeah. My God. Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of TV and, all of that. Yeah, I've done, I was just counting up the other day. I was like, how many have I done? Yeah, you know, over 20 or so, maybe 30. I don't know. But over the 10 years that I was not on Broadway, I definitely kept my eyes on what was happening. And I would just stalk Stephanie and all of my peers and just watch them open shows and close shows and be nominated for Tonys and win Tonys. And I was appreciative and jealous and um for sure so when last july i was asked to step into into the woods for two weeks mm. on creole my friend for 21 years um was on vacation luckily i had done it at the hollywood bowl with sutton foster and right right Miller, so i knew the score really well i was like i'm gonna do this and i wanted i did it because i wanted to prove that i still could i knew physically i could still do it emotionally and mentally that I am so used to on TV. You mess, you mess up a line. You can just be like, Hey, can I just take that back? I feel like I can do that better. Obviously you can't do that. And you definitely can't do that in a Sondheim show where everybody knows every single second. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. Boy, boy, did you do it? Oh. Sensational. And you were the first one, right? It was the original company and you were the first one to kind of step in. There were many of us after, but that had to have been, well, I don't know if it, it would have been for me in daunting to go, okay, this, this cast is established. They got some of the best reviews I've ever read in my entire life. And now here I am going to come into this very tightly um, knitted ensemble cast without disrupting, but still making it my own. And you did it, brother. So effing well. Thank you. It, that is exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to and and I think my years in New York being a standby and being an understudy, handy. I understudied Mark Kudish, Gavin, Christian Borrell, Will, Will Chase, Adam Pascal, Chris Sieber. <laughs> like I stood by and I know what it's like to not disrupt the show, but also give it my own little spin. 
best thing of all, you guys, is that Jason insisted on the kids coming to see me in, into the woods. I thought, they're five. It's dark. It's a long show. They've never been to New York. It's in the middle of COVID. Like, I'm not going to be able to even see you during rehearsals because that, at that time, if you, you know, forget about it. And if I'm like, I test positive, then all this is for nothing. Yeah. He insisted. He said, I want our kids' first Broadway show to star their dad, period. And I'm like, he's my little type A Jewish prince who just <laughs> should happen. How did and you meet? We met in an AA meeting. Oh. Met in an AA meeting. And yeah, it was absolute love at first sight. But when I tell you, the kids, when they came to Into the Woods, and that moment, Stephanie, where you, everybody breaks the fourth wall, careful the things you say, children will listen. I looked right at my children. Mm. We're like craning their necks and they had their masks on and tears shot out of my eyes like oh. sprinklers. I remember looking to my left and here's Brian Darcy James, my musical theater hero. He's crying. I'm crying. I was like, all oh, right, this is what I've missed. And having this moment with my kids right now, probably the most profound artistic moment of my whole life. Oh, yeah. that's so beautiful. So yeah. as an adult, you still consider yourself as an introvert? Yes. I have learned, especially now that I go to, you know, the kids are in school and they have, this is a school where you're really encouraged to be very present at the school. And those kind of... Uh, big crowds and and fundraising things and it's just usually that was those are the types of things that back in the day caused me to drink a lot because I was just so I wasn't in my body and I was just oh what I was just nervous now I have tools and I realize now actually everybody's nervous everybody's scared of people we're all scared of each other it's just the people that are like super outgoing are just a little they're used to the noise in their head and they are just doing it anyway. Mm. And so, but yeah, definitely. I, that has been a, a definitely a, a, a thing that Jason and I have had to work hard on in our almost 10 years together because he is, he wants to be out. He wants to be dancing. And I am always like planning my escape route. Uh -huh. Yeah. And a lot of conversations I've had with major introverts, COVID and the masks actually saved them. They were like, it was some of the happiest mm. times in my life. I didn't have to come up with excuses as to why I couldn't be there. If mm. I was there, there was this safety blanket literally over my face, a protective guard between me and the world that allowed me to hide without hiding. Mm. It was a really interesting. And that came up that quite a bit. Really and I was like, gosh, yeah. How are you in social, big social situations? Do you know what? If I'm completely honest, I have... Like you tried many different personalities on since I was eight or nine. Mm. So that is my, it was just in my adult life that I went, you know what? You have been an actor to escape and be someone else. And this is not serving you. It's taken you this far, but now you have to use this to magnify who you are, get real clear as to who you are, and then put on the the cloak of someone else as opposed to become someone else. So that's what got me through a lot of high school and a lot of my early 20s. I meet people now and they're like, oh my gosh, you're so centered. And so, because I was gregarious, I was a shapeshifter. I was, I could turn on the charm, but then on the drive home, I would almost, you mm. know, collapse over from fatigue and from who was that person? Because mm. that wasn't me. And now how do I enter that situation again trying to reintroduce myself as who I truly am when I've already established that's who I am in that circle. And that was a lot of my twenties and it worked mm. for me until it didn't. And then I had to step back. And so when I meet people now that haven't seen me since my late teens or early twenties, they're so shocked. And they actually give Sebastian a lot of the credit. Oh my God, you've centered her so much. I was like, hello, hello. We're talking decades of therapy, a lot of journaling, but I love him, but he didn't do it, y'all. <laughs>
But when I do look back, I would go, Stephanie, why did you share that? Stephanie, why did you say that? Yeah. Because I couldn't I sit in quiet space. I just I know couldn't that feeling. sit in quiet space. Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally know that feeling. Yeah, no, I totally know that feeling. I understand both of your feelings. Like uh, there's a part of me that I think at one time was so quiet, I would either talk too much to make up for the fact that I was feeling shy and quiet or... I would just kind of run away and disappear because sometimes I get really overwhelmed by like big situations. Like I can't go to concerts and dance clubs and I, I just get drained and exhausted really, really quickly in those situations where there's just tons and tons of people everywhere. I have to be with people that I know and trust in order to really come out of my shell. I mean, this podcast has been a, a big help in that understanding and allowing parts of myself that are scarier to share. But I think it's why we start chattering on, like you were saying, Steph, it's a why. Why do we chatter on and why are we sharing what we're sharing? Because sometimes it's just uncomfortable and the energy just comes pouring out because you don't know what else to do in those kinds of situations. But I totally understand that. It, you know, anyway, it's it, but you're right. It takes a lot of therapy and a lot of work to move past those parts of yourself and to start to come into yourself and realize everybody feels that way. Everybody's not, some people love the big dance nightclubs, but, but they have their other things that they're struggling with in just the fact that we're human. What you, what you described about like coming home from a party and like saying like, who was that person? I relate to that on such a <laughs> cellular level. And Jason's not going to like him inside this, but you know, I'm an open book. We have this thing that we do when each of us, is, you know, uh, couples have their own little, you know, ways to keep each other in check. He doesn't like if I pinch him under the table or knee him or anything. He feels like, I don't know, he just, he doesn't like the way it makes him feel. So I've had to abandon that. But what we, if either of us is being performative mm -hmm. and not real, we, <laughs> you know, like when a, a comedian goes out there and they like go, hey, is this thing on? <laughs> like, kind of just go like, we give each other a little... If he's getting a little too like, oh, and why shouldn't he be performing? But it's just, it's a funny way for us to keep each other in check. Like if, like Cheyenne, who were you just now? Like, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seven, I, not seven. We don't check the mic, but we have a dial. It's like, dial it down, yo. <laughs> dial it down. Dial. <laughs> and in the moment, of course, my knee-jerk reaction is, you don't but then when dial I, down but then when i think about it i'm like he it's in my best interest i am going back to that self who doesn't serve me anymore mm. and he sees it and he knows i'm going to lash myself overnight i won't sleep i'll go through the whole conversation and be like oh, did that upset if i said that do you think that'll get back to that <laughs> even though it's benign but to me mm. i have to dissect the whole night so if he just gives me a little so he, air dial Click. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Your husband loves a good theme. So what's the holiday? What's the Halloween costume? What's the family Halloween? First of all, um, Halloween is all my doing. I have to say, Even, you know, it seems like that's a Jason thing. That's yeah. all. I plan it all year long. I get every single piece, every costume of every person. I do everyone's makeup. I do everyone's hair. Oh my God. You would look at us and think, oh, Jason does the, you know, the hair and the, the fashion and stuff. But um, yeah, no, I do Willow's hair every day for school. Yeah, so our, our theme this year, we're going to keep it simple, but we're going to, it's going to be all about the details. We're, we're going, we're going um, royal. So everybody's Ooh. the king. Jason's going to be the queen. Mm -hmm. Willow's going to be the princess. Mm -hmm. Ethan's going to be the prince. And we may have some, you know, duchesses or things, other family members join us, but yeah. I think simple it, I, is relative in this situation. I agree. Can we define simple as we you know? It's true. It's but I try an oh, entire I, royal family and court. Right. But um, yeah. We're That's, going as the Adams family, and I think there's going to be at least twelve or fifteen of us. So it's going to be the whole. I mean, the whole situation. Are you Morticia? Mm -hmm. Okay. I wanted to be like either the hand or you know the just the uh pedestrian neighbor the average normal in quotes neighbor oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. thinking my sister would be Morticia but she has no interest so that's me and Sebastian <laughs> will be well I feel very um lucky to have been invited to your and Jason's home and the environment that you've created and the people you surround yourself with and this very large sky that you are offering to your to your children you had said that 
you had to allow your mom and dad's space to mourn the life that they saw for mm -hmm. you. Um, and that hit me so hard because I never even thought I was doing that with Vivian, but I absolutely, anytime I see a character trait in her, I will then immediately propel myself to like when she's 13 or when she's 18 and how it, that's going to manifest in her life. And my therapist always tells me, just breathe into eight. That's all you can do is breathe into eight because none of these are flagpoles or bookmarks as to what is she's going to become. But yeah. boy, can I fall into that so easy going, ah, oh, I see this. Oh, I bet you that's going to lead to, or, mm. and it's not fair. It's not fair to ourselves. And it's certainly not fair to the little one. Even if I never impress upon her what I see for her future, I'm sure the way I respond to things or the way I light up when she does something feeds into how she processes all that mama is silently feeling, you know, I, I will tell you, I have an 18 year old. So I've kind of been through where you guys are at with the little ones. And I've said this to Steph many times. What I noticed with kids is it all comes in threes, the phases. They're either three weeks or three months. Mm. And then they're just almost reborn as a new little human in that time. And when, the, especially when they're like five, six, seven, they, they change so fast that I found myself mourning the next step of that phase was going to be gone. Just find all the things to love about that phase because it is not permanent. And some of them you're happy to see go, <laughs> <laughs> but some of them you're like, oh my God, just emblaze this on my heart, please. So I can recall it anytime I want. It's so fleeting and so fast. I mean, my son's filling out college applications and now I'm going to cry for the third time in this interview. It is exquisite, painful joy. <laughs> to watch them go out into the world. So just, just don't project where it's going to go. Just mm -hmm. sit with where it is because it's going to go anyway. Mm -hmm. It's going to fl fly away real fast, mm -hmm. real fast. So that's good yeah. advice. Willow got, itchy. She got her ears pierced yesterday and I took her oh. and it was so, it was amazing. How old? It, was she strong? She was great. She was strong. Uh, she's six. She'll be seven okay. in three, in two weeks. Okay. And um, I took her to Claire's. Of course you did. We got it, the stone she picked was pink ice. Oh, nice, nice. So it's light pink. It looks white, but it's it's light pink. And then, um, but she really wanted it to be at the same time. She wanted two women to be able to cook. Get it yeah. over. And she said, there's only one girl working here, dad. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> and she sat there. She brought her friend to hold a little stuffy to hold. And she was so brave and she just, I just watched her. And, and I'm telling you, like you said, merely afterwards, she seemed different. Yeah. She had, she walked through something. Mm -hmm. She walked through this fear and afterwards, and today she wanted a high tight pony at school. Yeah. So I did a high tight pony for her. I even put a little product on the side. So it was slick. And so she could really <laughs> show those ears. <laughs> those ears. And the, she walked in the, and for some, some of the girls, she was, she was like just walking in front of them to show like, and the girls just gather around her and they all gave her the reaction that she was hoping for. Oh, but for like God. teachers, she would hide them and be like, here you go. And then she, would, <laughs> and it was, uh, it yeah, was, the, the other piece of parenting advice that was, was, I remember reading it somewhere and it really played into raising my son was you know, all of life lessons come tapping at our front door and the taps are little at first. And if we don't answer the little taps, they get bigger and bigger. And if we don't answer the big taps, they kick the universe, kicks the doors down, pulls the rug out and you're lying on your back in the living room going, what the hell just happened? Right. And as parents, our instinct is to intercept the little taps for our children. Mm. But if we do that, they never learn to hear them for themselves. And their lessons end up becoming so much bigger than they needed to be if we had just stepped back and let them fail and hear the taps. And that was a that was a, a big one for me, especially I think with boys, because as a mom, you're like, oh, don't do you know, you don't want anything to happen. Don't fall. And, you know, don't. But boys are crazy and wild and they're going to break things. And oh, yeah. And, you know, that's. Yep. And so that was the other piece, but I took my son who was 17 to get his ears pierced last summer. <laughs> and then this summer we went and we got tattoos together. So, you know, it goes on and on with kids. It goes on and on. 
All right, we've arrived at the five questions, but just before, a word from our sponsors. Cheyenne, if you were to wake up tomorrow morning with a superpower, worldly or otherworldly, what would it be? To visit um, relatives that have passed. That's a good one. Okay. You have been arrested, thrown in jail, and we need to call your husband and tell him to go bail you out. What did he assume that you have done to land yourself in jail? I mean, uh, it would have the only thing it would be is if like I started drinking again or something and something terrible happened, but. I'm such a rule follower, <laughs> a stoplight in the middle of a field at two in the morning. <laughs> okay. Describe your perfect sandwich. Ooh, um, ugh, I just love food. So it's just, this is, <laughs> okay. No, I would say, uh, one of Jason's like homemade meatball sandwiches. So oh. like, like it's. The, the 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 meatballs are he puts a little bit of pork in them and he also puts a little and it's just the perfect and then the the cheese over on the side and the perfect brioche bun and yeah that's the perfect sandwich oh god he sounds Italian, meatballs the best. <laughs> okay um if your life were a book what's this chapter called this chapter mm -hmm. what midlife crisis <laughs> I'm going to earmark that chapter. <laughs> um, okay. If you were a nail polish color, what color would that be? And what's the cheeky little name of that color? I would say it's um, green goddess. The color would be like a deep green, like a forest green, almost black, but you definitely see the green. And I've just always thought of myself as like a god and a goddess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say green goddess. I love it. I was thinking, you know, shiny blue sky. That's what I thought. That's what came to me. I love it. That was the name of my first album. I'm Blue Skies. Oh, oh. well, I just think you're wonderful. I, I think, think you're wonderful. This was a lovely, like not interview, really. This was just a conversation. How lovely. I love you. Thing, right? You guys. We uh, try. If people are willing for. to open up for us, then that's, that's the goal. So you gave us so much humanity today and, um, my guts are are filled and i'm so yeah. grateful thank yeah. you what a pleasure thank to you. meet you what a joy yes all Hug right and kiss your family we stay on a little bit and talk about you thanks bye thank you. isn't okay. he special here's the thing you want all my friends that yeah. is well true. that's true i want that friend but no <laughs> well and gavin yeah, yeah. All right, no, no no but here's the thing yeah you can be beautiful but then you need to be not funny or untalented. Okay. You don't get to be that beautiful and that funny and that talented and that kind, Like, come on. But even like I mentioned in his intro, even his speaking voice is this soothing, like warm waterfall that kind of drips over you. He is, I'm not kidding. Love he him. may not remember. Apparently he doesn't because he's like, I'm not sure how we met, but I had met him at, at Birdland a couple of times. And he always just seemed to me like he knew everybody, everybody knew him and that I wanted to know him. So I'm sure I upped my game and was trying to be quippy and funny, <laughs> but there he would be sitting at the bar, like, as you would expect, like one, one elbow in the bar, his heel on the rung of the stool and just this nonchalant gorgeousness yeah. and ownership of his space, but a magnet. People are literally just coming up to him. Mm. Like he's the mayor of, of happy, beautiful goddess town. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a very interesting, special and unique uh, spirit. You can see it right from the start. And I certainly like, really didn't know. Nice I certainly didn't know his background until I read more about him, about his upbringing. And mm -hmm. now that I do know it, I was like, well, of course, mm. like it all makes sense. You see his home <sighs> in his backyard and in LA to find a space that is close to nature the way it is. And I go, well, of course he walked into mm. this particular space and said, mm. oh yeah, this is where I want to raise my family. 
Um, very cool guy. Very, very cool guy. You know, it's funny, the image of his dad on the wings of the plane. I use that image all the time with my dad when I fly. You do. Whenever I get nervous, I'm like, Graf, Graf, come on, just go hang out onto the wings for me. I think of it all the time when I fly. Isn't that funny? I love that. Yeah. I do feel like his journey, one of being a, raised in a house of great faith, mm-hmm. doing tons of regional theater before the move, mm-hmm. moving shortly after 9-11, you know, I, there were, there were a lot of similarities that I was yeah. like, ah, I feel a kinship, you know, there are just kids the same age. similar. Exactly. Age. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Sweet. There's a kinship that you see in other people and he's definitely uh, one of them. Yeah. I can see why you adore him. Yeah. He's lovely. Just lovely. All right, my friend. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love All you. right. Happy fall day. Love you too. Bye. Stages podcast is produced by Stephanie J. Block and Mary Lee Fairbanks in association with iHeartRadio. It can be heard on the iHeartRadio podcast and iHeartRadio Broadway or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please join our cast by signing up at stagespodcast.net, listening, sharing, and leaving a five-star review. It all makes such a difference in getting the word out. Thanks for listening, and we will see you again soon.